Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Step into the obscure realm of a chilling crime that continues to confound investigators and haunt the collective consciousness. Welcome to the perplexing taste of Michelle Young, a tale of darkness that unfolded within the confines of an idyllic suburban home. In a neighborhood where white picket fences and pristine lawns adorn the landscape, Michelle Young was a radiant presence, a loving wife, a doting mother, and a pillar of strength. However, behind closed doors, a sinister secret lay concealed, waiting to be unnerved. On that fateful morning, the tranquility of the Young family home was shattered by a grisly discovery. Michelle Young, her life abruptly extinguished, was found brutally slain. The echoes of violence reverberating through the halls that once echoed with joy and laughter. As investigators descended upon the crime scene, they were confronted by a myriad of perplexing clues and contradictions. The evidence painted a vivid yet perplexing picture, a web of deceit, shattered dreams, and hidden motives. The seemingly perfect facade that the young family projected to the world crumbled revealing a labyrinth of twisted secrets lying beneath the surface. Join me, dear audience, as we venture deeper into the enigmatic maze of the Michelle Young case. Uncover the hidden motives, expose the dark underbelly of a seemingly perfect existence, and navigate the treacherous twists and turns that shroud this haunting crime. As we delve into the shadows, May we unravel the truth that lies at the heart of Michelle's tragic demise and bring solace to a family torn apart by unspeakable violence. Today, we find ourselves once again traveling along the eastern coast of the United States, this time arriving at the state of North Carolina. The coastline of the Tar Heel State, which consists of rugged cliff sides that meet the expanse of Atlantic Ocean is frequently lauded for its beauty. You are never going to be too far away from one of its many beaches, despite the fact that the landscape could look perilous. It's possible that you don't give a hoot, but I thought it fascinating to learn that the world-famous Krispy Kreme donut was invented in North Carolina, which is a state in the southeastern United States. If you ever see me out and about, please keep this one thing in mind. I will gladly accept a chocolate donut with sprinkles if we are a short distance inland from the famous shoreline. The city of Raleigh is going to be the primary focus of today's case. And despite the fact that it is the capital of the state, the city has a population of only about 500,000 people, making it a relatively small one. A young couple by the names of Michelle and Jason Young were also living among the half-million people at the time. To begin, we will concentrate on Michelle. She was born on February 17, 1977, and while she was a young girl living in Sable, 
New York. Her family recalled that she was a joyful and passionate young lady. Some people referred to her as the quintessential American sweetheart because of her charming demeanor, captivating smile, and quiet assurance. In addition to that, she was the co-captain of the cheerleading group at Seville High School. To this day, she can be seen grinning across the pages of her high school yearbook, even though it's been years since she graduated. Michelle always had the goal of becoming a tax attorney in the back of her mind as she was growing up, and she worked hard and put a lot of effort into achieving that goal over the years that followed. It should come as no surprise that she enrolled in the finance program at North Carolina State University after completing her high school education at Seville High School. This application was eventually approved, which resulted in her moving from the massive city of New York to the comparatively little city of Raleigh in the state of North Carolina. Michelle put a lot of effort into her schoolwork, and as a result, she was invited to join a local cheerleading squad once more. Despite the fact that she would eventually give this up in order to concentrate on her education, which was a very smart move, fast forward four years and she had finally qualified for a master's degree in accounting. At the very least in terms of her finances, Michelle was finally prepared to take on the world and it wouldn't be long until a local accounting business in Raleigh snapped her up. By the time February 2001 rolled around, Michelle was getting closer and closer to reaching the age of 24. And as a means of celebration, she and her pals all congregated at the Poe House, which proved to be their go-to watering hole in the neighborhood. This is the place, in a twist of fate, where Michelle wound up meeting a man whose name was Jason Young. When he turned around in the middle of his conversation with Michelle at the bar, he accidentally knocked over her glass of wine. The younger version of Jason Young profusely apologized, and as he was buying her another glass of wine, the two of them proceeded to carry on a conversation. It has just come to light that both of them attended and graduated from North Carolina State University, and that throughout their time there, they were both devoted supporters of the Wolfpack football team. Michelle's relationship with Jason was quickly evolving into the nicest birthday present she could have received. Because of this, their relationship went from being only a casual encounter to becoming a lot more serious affair as time went on. During this time period, Jason resided in the home of his mother. He was a salesman for Black and Decker and was known for his wit and self-assurance in the workplace. And despite the fact that he had a reputation for being quite the womanizer, it appeared that he had a thing for Michelle. Following this fortuitous meeting, Jason started going on what are technically known as sales trips to Raleigh. On the other hand, the purpose of these journeys was less to do with work and more to visit her. In contrast to Michelle, Jason had developed into a much more brash and rather immature young guy. Michelle had matured into a hard-working and kind young woman. Unfortunately, it appeared as though he had maintained his frat boy mentality and was hesitant to mature into adulthood. Despite this, 
the relationship became more intimate. After Jason relocated to Rowley, the pair ultimately decided to move in together and set up a house. And a mere two years after the couple first met, a pregnancy test revealed that Michelle was carrying her partner's child. It is easy to understand why she did not anticipate becoming pregnant so quickly. She had always intended to have a conventional wedding before beginning her married life. And she was very certain that Jason wasn't prepared either at this point in time. It was fairly evident that he took far too much pleasure in his independence. After Michelle informed Jason of the news, he responded in a manner that showed this. He said that he was not prepared for marriage or children at this time. In fact, he wasn't even ready for marriage. To tell you the truth, neither was Michelle. Neither of them. Nevertheless, she was adamant about carrying the pregnancy to term. After a little more than a month had passed since the announcement was made, the couple finally came to the conclusion that they should get married. The fact that Michelle did not have any form of health insurance suggests that this may not have been done out of pure love. Therefore, having a child in the United States of America was going to set them back a considerable amount of money in their budget. Because of this, plus the fact that they already knew they were going to have a kid, their wedding seemed to be more of a need than anything else. But whatever the circumstances, the couple tied the knot in August of 2003. The photographs gave the impression of a large wedding celebration for a relatively young couple who appeared to be extremely pleased. Cassidy Elizabeth Young was ultimately brought into the world on March 29, 2004, after a few more months had passed. Michelle seemed to have little trouble adjusting to her new role as a mother. She adored her little sister, Cassidy, more than anything else in the entire world. In addition to this, Michelle's sister Meredith had relocated to the Raleigh region in order to lend a hand with everything. In the later part of that year, in July, the family moved into a spacious family house on Birchleaf Drive, which is located on the outskirts of Raleigh. The family's dog, whom they had endearingly named Mr. G, also made the journey. It was more than they could have ever hoped for. The property was expansive, wooded, and in every way secluded. Because of this, additional members of Michelle's family were able to pay her a visit, including her mother, Linda, who was always there for her. However, all of this came at the expense of Jason's disappointment because he and Linda frequently did not share the same viewpoints. The friendship between Michelle and Linda was one of the most solid I've ever seen. In fact, despite the fact that they lived in separate location, the mother and daughter managed to maintain a nearly daily phone conversation. They discussed the many different facets of Michelle's life, including the many different relationships she had, of course. Unfortunately, this led to conflict between Jason and Linda as Michelle frequently voiced her frustrations over Jason's issues to Linda. It was no secret to friends or family that Jason had a fiery temper.
and the fact that he and his wife frequently fought on a regular basis was also not a secret. Yet, this did not matter. In the spring of 2006, Michelle informed Jason that she was expecting their second child and that she had some extremely exciting news to share with him. It was speculated that Jason responded quite differently this time around due to the fact that the pregnancy of their second child had been planned. The couple's eagerness to expand their family by a fourth member was palpable as they prepared to meet their new addition. To commemorate the arrival of this information, Jason's relatives invited his immediate family to spend the weekend at their residence in Brevard, North Carolina, which was located 280 miles away. However, while we were here, a terrible accident would take place. They were scheduled to get on the road and head back to Raleigh in the wee hours of the next morning. While Jason and Michelle went to get some coffee, they left their daughter Cassidy in the care of her grandparents. But tragically, while they were driving back, Jason managed to lose control of the vehicle, which caused the two of them to go down a 100-foot drop into a deep stretch of the French Broad River. To our great relief, Michelle and Jason were able to flee the scene. But a few days later, Michelle had an abortion because of the emotional and physical hardship that she experienced after the tragedy. The news naturally left the family in utter disbelief and grief. Michelle and Jason didn't let this event determine their future for very long, which was quite a brave thing to do on their part. In fact, only a few months later, Michelle experienced pregnancy for a second time. It should come as no surprise that Michelle was ecstatic to learn this, and reports indicate that Jason also appeared to be enjoying himself. His response, on the other hand, gave the impression of having less enthusiasm this time around. Michelle had a hard time putting her finger on the thought process that led to her conclusion. However, she had a very limited understanding of the other significant occurrences that were taking place in Jason's life. His job as a salesman required him to be away from his family on a regular basis. On the other hand, a number of these business excursions really had nothing to do with his work at all. Even though Jason was in the midst of one of his business trips to Florida in the month of October 2006, when Michelle was four months into her pregnancy, nothing seemed out of the ordinary for Michelle. The trip was taken by Jason. On the other hand, Jason was planning on paying a visit to an old friend. The woman's name was Michelle Money, and in the 1990s she studied at North Carolina University alongside Michelle Young and Jason. I won't sugarcoat it. Having two different Michelles to talk about can be a little bit confusing at times. To keep things simple for the duration of this film, we will refer to her only by her surname. About a month earlier, Money had gone to the home of the Youngs, and while she was there, she had griped about her own marriage to Jason. After recognizing the little clue, he started sending Money a message nearly every day and I'm sure you can guess where this is going to go next. There was something going on between Jason and Money. And as the complexity of this situation grew, so did Jason's.
fewer questions arise. Now that the history of Jason and Michelle has been wrapped up, let's go ahead one month to November of 2006 and pick up where we left off. It wasn't long until one of Jason's work travels rolled around again, but this time it was for a meeting with his sales team instead of an industry convention. Slated to take place in the morning of November 3rd, the meeting required Jason to travel around 500 kilometers, 300 miles, from his home to Clintwood. It is certain that a long journey will involve a long drive, and Jason had no desire to subject himself to such an ordeal prior to a hectic day at work. As a result, he made the choice to check into a hotel in Hillsville, which is located exactly halfway between his hometown and his destination. Nobody really knows why only half of it is done. It was a choice that appeared somewhat out of the ordinary. Nevertheless, on the evening of November 2, 2006, Jason bade farewell to his wife Michelle and his daughter Cassidy before they left for dinner. Michelle and Cassidy were spending the evening with Shelley, a friend of Michelle's, and Jason was leaving before dinner. After putting Cassidy to bed, the two women had the evening to themselves, and they chose to pass the majority of it by watching episodes of Grey's Anatomy. Shelley claims that they discussed Michelle's marriage and how she and her husband had a disagreement recently despite it being a work night. Shelley made the decision to leave the party somewhere around 10.30 p.m. and head home. After departing, Michelle and her daughter Cassidy went to the second floor of the house to get ready for the night. Michelle changed into her leisure attire, which consisted of a pair of white joggers and a hooded sweatshirt in black. And not much longer after that, she finally calmed down enough to fall asleep with Cassidy at her side. Meredith, Michelle's sister, continued on with her daily activities as the clock struck midnight on the following day. It was a Friday, and she, along with the rest of us, was anticipating the weekend that lay ahead. However, shortly before lunchtime, she received a call on her phone. Jason Young was the one on the other end of the telephone. It turned out that he needed her assistance after all. Because he and Michelle were about to celebrate their third wedding anniversary, he decided it was time for a new bag and began looking for one online. Unfortunately, he had acted too quickly and instead sent a copy of the listing to the printer in his home before he could purchase this item as a present for Michelle. Meredith and Jason did not always get along, but she did support the kind gesture that he made toward his wife. Now, Meredith and Jason did not always get along. Therefore, as a result, she consented to head over there and clear out the issue. On top of that, she intended to visit her sister and her niece later that day regardless, so it is highly unlikely that Michelle would be bothered by her arrival so early. She got into her car and drove over to Birchleaf Drive. Once she had pulled up to the garage, she went in through the connecting door, which was a door that was only known to be kept unlocked by family members. Upon entering, Meredith's entire world was turned upside down. 
Meredith was able to pick up on the profoundly unsettling vibe that permeated her sister's house, even though she had never lived there. Everything had an unnaturally low volume. Because Michelle's purse and keys were discovered in the kitchen, we now know that she is safe inside. However, the lights were off, there was complete silence in the home, and the temperature was below freezing. She yelled her sister's name, but there was no reaction from anyone. This did not sit well with me in the least. The only sound that she was able to pick up was the whimpering of the family dog coming from a room that was quite a distance away. As she made her way upstairs, she saw that the door to her sister's bedroom was slightly ajar as she passed down the corridor. She took a few more steps forward, and once she was inside the room, the sight that greeted her altered the course of her life in an irrevocable way. Her sister, Michelle Young, was positioned so that she was facing down and lying next to her bed. There was blood all over the floor and on the wall where it had been sprayed. Meredith reached out with trepidation in order to touch her sister. She had a chilly and rigid demeanor. There was a baby doll lying next to her head. Meredith recoiled, and at the same time she did so, she heard a whistling sound coming from behind her. Cassidy crawled out from under the bed in the master bedroom. She was clothed in fresh pink pajamas, yet she gave off the impression that she was disoriented. Meredith picked up the little child, who was only two years old, and carried her out of the bedroom. And lovely. Immediately dial 911. Please send an ambulance my way. Emergency. Could you please tell me your address, ma'am? Almost exactly 51. The flood of elite was practically non-stop, oh my god. Problem. Describe the event in as much detail as you can. It appears that my sister has passed away. Please fill me in on what transpired, your honor. I have no idea. Oh, my god. I'm curious, what's your name? Meredith. Meredith. Oh. My God. Please give me your attention, Meredith. Yeah. Are you still with the patient at this time? Yes. And her daughter. What age is the patient in question? And there is blood splattered all over the place. She's 28. 29. You mean to tell me there is blood all over the place? Yes. Okay. Got it. Is she lucid at this point? In my opinion, that is not the case. Should I make an effort to assist her? Listen to me, ma'am. I'm listening. Is she even still alive? It doesn't seem likely to me. Have you gotten in touch with Michelle? She has a chill. Okay. The entire house is covered in what looks like blood and footsteps. Similar to the tiny print left by her daughter. Indeed. There is blood splattered across the entire home. Did you mention she's old? Yes. Oh, my God. Check to see if you can convince her to ride shotgun. It's my firm belief that she has passed away. It appears that there is blood on the bed. I'm going to ask the sheriff's department to join us on the line when we call them. All right.
because they are going to want to have a conversation with you about what it is that you are observing. Okay. While Meredith continued to speak with the operator over the phone, officers were making their way to the home where the young family was staying. Once they arrived, they moved rapidly to secure the house and the crime scene. What they discovered inside presented a picture of a horrific attack against a pregnant mother and the horrible, confused wanderings of her daughter, who was two years old. The house had an eerie and deserted feel to it. Bags appeared to be strewn around carelessly, as though the cleaning were only at the halfway point. And the body of Michelle Young might be found in the master bedroom located upstairs. The findings of the autopsy would eventually reveal that Michelle had died as a result of a blunt force injury to the head, in addition to suffering from numerous abrasions and contusions. She also suffered from a subarachnoid hemorrhage of the brain, several fractures, and the loss of several teeth as a result of the accident. On the floor next to her was a pillow that revealed a bloody footprint when it was lifted up. These footprints, which went in the opposite direction of where she was standing, appeared to be from a shoe that was a size 12. The fact that a baby doll was discovered close to Michelle's head, which may have been placed there by Cassidy Comfort, Michelle's own mother, was the saddest component of the crime scene and there were several small bloody footprints from the child situated in the family bathroom heading up to the step stall, as if she went to wash her hands. Additionally, a small amount of Michelle's blood was found on the wall at an elevation suitable for toddlers. To our great relief, Cassidy suffered no injuries whatsoever. She was dressed in a set of fresh pajamas. He appeared to be exhausted and seemed to be struggling to make sense of what was going on around him. Given that there was no evidence of a break-in, whomever was responsible for Michelle's death either had a key or was aware that the door to the garage was propped open. This begs the obvious issue of who was responsible for Michelle Young's death and why. According to the statistics, close to 60% of all homicide victims knew their assailant. When it comes to married couples, the spouse is invariably the first suspect in any investigation. However, as we are well aware, Jason had gone the night before to attend a business conference. So it looks like he was free and clear, right? Okay, so maybe not. Around 11 o'clock in the evening, on November 2, 2006, Jason checked into the Hampton Inn located close to Galax. Birchleaf Drive is approximately 170 miles away from this hotel. He was operating a white Ford Explorer at the time in question. Now, the vast majority of us have ever experienced staying in a hotel. It is standard practice for guests to carry a key card with them at all times as this provides access to their rooms as well as the rest of the hotel. The key card that Jason had to access his room could only be used once, and after that, it could never be used again. On the surface, it would appear that Jason was safely ensconced in his bedroom throughout the entirety of the time that his wife was being brutally killed. When further investigation was conducted, however, 
suspicions began to grow. It was at that point that the authorities started questioning the workers at the hotel and checking the security footage from the surrounding area. It has come to light that the front desk clerk at the hotel, Keith Hex, was strolling around the property early on the morning of November 3rd. It was during this time that he became aware that a small red pebble had been used to keep the emergency exit door on the third level propped open. This presented a mystery. It appeared to him as if someone had propped the door open in the hopes of returning through the same door, thus avoiding the front entrance and the need to utilize the keycard entry system. He received this impression since the door was propped open. Everything made perfect sense. The door is often locked at 11 o'clock at night till 6 o'clock, and in order to gain access before or after that time, a key card is required. After making his way back to the front desk, Keith inspected the footage from the security cameras. On the other hand, the camera that was looking in the same direction as the emergency exit had been turned off. The most recent photograph was taken at 11.20 p.m., approximately half an hour after Jason had checked in. The camera did not come back online until 5.50 in the morning. The following morning, Keith approached a member of the maintenance staff and requested that they reconnect it. However, when he personally checked the camera at 6.30 in the morning, he saw that it was now pointing towards the ceiling instead of the wall. This, too, was somewhat out of the ordinary. It had been several years since the camera had been tampered with, but for some reason, it just so happened to be done on the exact night that Jason was staying there. Although the exact moment that Jason checked out of the hotel is unknown, data forensics indicate that he made a number of phone calls at approximately 7.40 in the morning. While still more than 30 miles away from the hotel, all of these events occurred in less than 10 seconds, and investigators saw them as the actions of a man who was in a state of fear. Additionally, Jason arrived for his own sales meeting that morning half an hour later than he had anticipated, and then, after the meeting was over, he continued on to his parents' house as he had intended. Consequently, in the course of their investigations, the police tracked down all of Jason's payments made at gas stations and compared the distance he really traveled to the distance he should have traveled. As a result of doing this, it was clear that the total miles were correct. However, after asking the employees at these gas stations along the road, one of them said that they had seen Jason early on that morning. When placing an order for petrol so early in the morning, clients are required to present a credit card and a photo identification for verification purposes. To make matters more interesting, it seems that Jason disobeyed this instruction. As a matter of fact, this resulted in a violent confrontation between Jason and the attendant, during which Jason insulted and swore at the attendant. And of course, this helped her recall his face. This debate was finally resolved when Jason threw $20 on the counter, put $15 worth of gas into his vehicle, and drove out into the night. This purchase was also consistent with the sales log maintained by the petrol station, 
which indicated that Jason had driven a greater distance than he would have liked the police to believe on that particular evening. Unfortunately for the police, they would be met with even more irritation, despite the fact that all of this information appeared to cause them significant anxiety. They merely lacked sufficient evidence to get a conviction against Jason for the murder of Michelle. The information that has been made public thus far in the investigation into the murder of Michelle Yang seems to lead toward a suspect. However, the authorities are not yet prepared to take any action. A pregnant woman named Michelle Young was discovered dead in her house in Wake County almost two years ago. She had been severely battered. Today, Cullen Browder discussed the evidence with the former prosecutor who worked on the case. Cullen David Keir on Shanahan has a balanced perspective on this legal dispute. Shanahan indicates that if the young man will represent them, he will strongly advise him not to talk. On the other hand, he admits that there is reason for suspicion, as well as the fact that Young has not been cooperating with authorities. In general, this is going to take some time. But all indications point to a case being built, not related to the investigation in any way. Former Assistant District Attorney Kieran Shanahan minimizes the fact that detectives have not named a suspect or made any arrests. After nearly two years had passed since Michelle Young was found dead in her house in Wake County, North Carolina, her two-year-old child was discovered next to the body. The toddler was in perfect health. At the same time, Shanahan claims that the warrants demonstrate that detectives are painstakingly building a case around Jason Young, who is Michelle Young's spouse. Shanahan points to the bloody footprints that were found at the scene. The surveillance video from a hotel in Virginia that shows Jason Young entering and exiting, and the propped open door that eliminated the need for a traceable key card as evidence of the suspect's guilt. As the months passed, there was no new evidence to imply that any other suspect but Jason Young was responsible for the crime. When Jason's family and friends found out about his affair with Michelle Money, even people who were closest to Jason started to have doubts about him. In the midst of everything that was going on, Cassidy was still living with her father, which caused Michelle's already troubled family to experience a great deal of concern and panic. In spite of this, Jason Young was taken into custody for the murder of Michelle Young in December of 2009 after a protracted and exhaustive investigation that lasted for three years. There was still a long way to go before Michelle would receive justice. On the other hand, it would take another two years to construct a strong case against Jason, and during that time, he continued to maintain that he was blameless. The processes in court about this case were drawn out and laborious. The prosecution did all in its power to construct a case around Jason, including bringing in witnesses, displaying evidence, and even attempting to get a confession out of him. The prosecution alleged that Jason had fabricated an alibi for himself while he was responsible for the death of his wife. In spite of the fact that the camera had been tampered with, a jar was discovered at the exit door and a witness claimed to have seen Jason that night.
Nothing about this suggests a murderer on the surface. Joe Reason went through his first trial in June of 2011, but it was a mistrial, which was a very disheartening outcome. Because the evidence that was presented was simply too circumstantial, the jury was unable to reach a judgment that they could all agree on. However, the case against Jason was strengthened seven months later, in February 2012, when new evidence was uncovered. As a result, a new trial will need to be held. The investigators made an enhanced attempt to obtain witnesses, some of whom were neighbors who claimed to have seen a white automobile stopped in front of Young's house on the night in question. The kindergarten teacher who taught Cassidy was also called to the stand. She went on to describe how Cassidy had played with dolls, allegedly saying things like mummy's getting a spanking for biting and mummy has boo-doos all over, red stuff all over. She also claimed that Cassidy had said mummy has boo-doos all over, red stuff all over. The sneaker was covered in blood. Prints that were found on the floor of the bedroom matched a pair of shoes that Jason had bought a year before the murder took place and these prints were found on the floor of the bedroom. In addition, testimonies given by friends, relatives, and even Michelle Money, Jason's lover, all characterized a relationship that was fraught with conflict. According to Michelle Money, Jason expressed his desire to be with her when he informed her that he was unhappy in his marriage and that he wanted to be with her instead. When Jason's ex-girlfriend was called to the witness, she claimed that while the two of them were together, Jason physically abused her. She testified that this occurred while they were together. These pieces of evidence, taken together, formed a very disturbing portrait of Jason and his marriage to Michelle. It was said that the affection they shared had diminished with time. He desired to escape their situation, and for whatever reason, he reasoned that murdering his wife would be the most effective way to do it. So, what was the decision reached in the second trial of Jason? After much deliberation, the jury came to the conclusion that Jason Young was responsible for the death of his wife and found him guilty. As a consequence of this, he was handed a sentence of life in prison without the chance of release. Ms. Rackness, you have just announced the verdict which states that the jury has come to the conclusion that the defendant, Jason Lin Young, is responsible for the first-degree murder of Michelle Fisher Young. This decision was reached by a unanimous vote. Is that what you mean? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, if that was a unanimous verdict of this jury that the defendant was guilty of murder in the first degree, and if your individual conviction was that the defendant was guilty of murder in the first degree, could you please express that by raising your hand? Let it be noted that each of the 12 jurors reached this conclusion. As a result, the judgment and the directions that are recorded have been accepted by the court. This is a very fascinating case to look into. Even while there is a mountain of circumstantial evidence that points to Jason as the killer, none of it can definitively establish that he was the one who took his wife's life. It's possible that they are all just coincidences. Unfortunately, 
The murder weapon that was used to kill Michelle was never located. Because Jason still lived in this area, the authorities were unable to use any local DNA. So put it another way, there is no question in my mind that Jason was a horrible husband. He was combative, disloyal, and even abusive toward his partner in their relationship. But does this indicate that he was responsible for the death of his wife? At least, that is how I see things. Yes, in my opinion. It's true. He did a fantastic job of providing an alibi for himself. On the other hand, each and every piece of evidence that has been gathered leaves little room for doubt. In 2017, Jason filed an appeal in an attempt to have his case rehear. However, his appeal was ultimately denied. There are many people in this world who continue to believe that Jason was falsely convicted, and there are even websites that are entirely devoted to the cause of securing his freedom. But at least in the eyes of the law, Jason was an egocentric person who was miserable in his marriage. He imagined that his previous existence had been spent in prison. And the choices he made in order to save himself from this situation would eventually bring him to another one. But this time with a lot less symbolic connotations. Additionally, sadly, these particular choices this also left Meredith without her sister, Linda without her second daughter, and Cassidy without a mother who loved her. As a direct consequence of Jason's actions, Cassidy was forced to say goodbye to both of her parents. Her mother had passed away, and her father was currently serving time in prison. Currently, her aunt is raising her. Meredith, in addition to remaining members of Michelle's family, it's up to Jason. Never forget which void you are referring to. He came up with the idea in Michelle's head. In France, a family gathering is called a circle call. She was an intelligent young lady who possessed a genuine enthusiasm for life and a great deal of love to give to others. She was consistent, constantly surrounded by those who had the deepest affection for her, and not without good reason because she never failed to return that love she received. It is a tragic irony that the man who entered her life on her 24th birthday would ultimately prove to be the most perilous gift a woman could receive. He became the embodiment of a poisonous presence, casting a shadow of danger over her existence. Assuming that Jason is, at the very least, a murderer in the eyes of the law in my own judgment, the gravity of this situation cannot be understated. Yet, I am eager to hear your thoughts. This case teeters precariously on the line between circumstantial and irrefutable evidence, making it crucial to gather diverse perspectives. I invite you to share your ideas in the comments section below, for your insights hold immense significance. And with that, we draw the curtains on today's proceedings. I cannot adequately express the depth of my gratitude for your presence today. If you found this scenario captivating or gained new knowledge, I implore you to show your support by liking and subscribing to our newsletter.
assuming you haven't done so already. Rest assured, we will reconvene soon for another enthralling case, as is customary. However, until that time arrives, please remain vigilant and watch out for one another. Goodbye.